1: Hello and welcome to The Political Party. Today's guest is Jacob Rees-Mogg. This is the rescheduled Christmas special and it was a double header with Rosena, Alan Khan and Jacob. Uh, the Rosena episode will be out in a few days. Uh, so this is the first of two parts of the rescheduled Christmas special, which now took place, obviously, uh, in April. So it was slightly short. But I tried to make it Christmas here. We had Christmas music. I had some Christmas decorations on stage. I think... Uh, I was the only person that enjoyed that element of it. I don't think the audience were that bothered. And I think the guests were slightly... Um, but I mean, it was Chris You know, you, if you miss out on a Christmas party, you want to have a Christmas party, don't you? Talking of which, the timing of that announcement... I'm recording this an hour or so after we've just found out that Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak have been issued with fixed penalty notices. I mean, terrible timing for me interviewing Jacob Rees-Mogg and, and, and that coming out the following day but there we are. I can now announce who all my guests are and through until mid-July. I know I've announced some of these already but some of these I haven't so get your pad and pen or the Notes app on your iPhone or whatever it is you jot these things down or maybe just memorize it. Monday the 18th of April, Labour's Rosie Duffield. I'm so excited to have Rosie on the show. She's such a phenomenal campaigner, an exceptionally brave woman and someone who has spoken in the House of Commons about her own sometimes terrible personal experiences uh, and has really used her platform to raise often very difficult subjects. She's a phenomenal individual. That will be a very special night. That's Monday the 18th of April. On Monday the 2nd of May, I don't think I've announced this yet. Um, My guest will be Andrew Marr, who, of course, has just joined LBC. Many years, um, Marr's Sunday morning programme on the BBC was essential viewing, and, of course, uh, a titan of print media as well before that, uh, as well as being the BBC's political editor for many years. So I can't wait to ask him about his his career, but also now that he's away from the BBC, uh, I'm sure he can be more open about what he thinks about some of the people he's interviewed and (laughs) some of the political changes we've been through over the past 20 or 30 years. On Monday the 16th of May, my guest is Lisa Nandy, uh, who stood for the Labour leadership, is the Shadow Secretary of State for levelling up, and is just an absolute megastar. Really funny, really sharp, really warm. On Monday the 30th of May, my guest will be Wes Streeting, someone who's already being talked about as a future Prime Minister. He's everywhere at the moment. He is an exceptional communicator. That will be a brilliant evening. On Monday the 13th of June, Gary Neville, England and Manchester United star Sky Sports pundit and now Labour member. On Monday the 27th of June, my guess will be David Davis, the first ever Secretary of State for exiting the European Union, and I think I'm right in saying this, the first Tory MP to call on Boris Johnson to resign. And on Monday, the 11th of July, the new Speaker of the House of Commons, someone who's become central to my act in the last few months, Lindsay Hoyle. Oh, my God. What a brilliant mix of guests. Um, so you can get tickets to all of those at mattford.com. You can also get tickets to my tour, Plans to the Left of Me, Jokers to the Right. Thank you to... Um, all of you have come to see me. The nights in Brighton were just exceptional. It um, was so much fun. So thank you to everyone who came. Um, I'm in Cardiff. I'm also in London, the Bloomsbury Theatre, on Saturday the 23rd of April. You can get tickets for that on my website, mattford.com, and tickets to all my future shows, including Nottingham. I'm terrible at self-promotion. I should have the list in front of me. You know what? So many of the jokes I make are about politicians not communicating properly, and then I'm terrible at communicating my own stuff. So Camberley, Peterborough, Maidenhead, uh, Bristol, Leamington, Shrewsbury, Nottingham, Gloucester, York, Leeds, Canterbury, Exeter, <laughs> so many. A lot of them have already sold out, but do check the website, mapford.com uh, for all those dates, including the Bloomsbury Theatre on Saturday, the 23rd of April. So on to today's guest, Jacob Rees-Mogg. This is, I mean, it was so much fun to record. And with th- this, we, we mix um, the silly and the serious, and just, he has got a knack for making people laugh. Uh, And when I think about the guests in the history of the show that have that, I think of uh, William Hague, Peter Mandelson, Saeed Avasi, Ruth Davidson, Tony Blair. Some people just have a real knack for making an audience laugh. And he really has that. So at times this is just so uh, funny. It was just a really good laugh, but also lots of serious politics in there as well. So it's it's a real mix of an interview. Um, but he is a brilliant person to interview it because he's uh, a lot of fun and he's also, uh, as I'm sure you'll be able to sort of sense, uh, disarming and and at times uh, very thoughtful. So this is just, uh, well, you're about to enjoy it, I'm sure, so I won't say any more, Uh, but um, here we go. This is the rescheduled Christmas special with Jacob Rees-Mogg. Merry Christmas! Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're following that up with uh, a sensational guest. Um, tonight's guest was first on the show many years ago, and it was by far one of the greatest episodes in the history of this podcast. I'm delighted he's decided to return. He is the former leader of the House of Commons, and now, Minister for Brexit Opportunities, please raise the roof for Jacob Rees-Moore!
0: <laughs> Hello. I think we can shake hands now. Yes, we can. We're back to normal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we can shake hands. I think that's the first handshake I've had in a long time. It's nice. We're getting back to normal. Yes, it
0: feels like that. Although, um, what is normal? Normal is celebrating Christmas in the um, beginning of April.
1: How do you feel? Because I felt the audience here was slightly cynical about this inflatable sandwich. I mean, is that the sort of thing you'd have at at your
0: house? I was was absolutely delighted because the government keeps on saying things are going to happen by Christmas. And the latest date I could find for Christmas was the Serbian Orthodox Christmas, which ends on the 15th uh, of February. And you've given me an extra two months. (laughs) and, and I'll tell you, that specifically, we were promised that the Online Harms Bill would be published before Christmas, and thanks to you, we have delivered on our promise, <laughs> yeah. so I'm very grateful. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, Jake. I mean,
1: it must be nice for a government minister to be at a Christmas party. They won't get in trouble for being. Uh, I'm, sure that,
0: I'm sure that's right, yes.
1: <laughs> so what is the um, Rees-Mogg family Christmas like? Do, do you have the, all the family around, turkey in the trimmings?
0: We do, yes. Um... Uh, we were with, uh, this year, um, my wife's mother and stepfather in Kent, and all the children were there, and there's quite a lot of us. I've got uh, six children, we've got six children. Um, and so, yes, it's a big old troop.
1: <laughs> and do you are you a sort of pro-Christmas guy? Do you like all the hymns and all the songs and all the food and all the drink?
0: I sit there going, bah, humbug, the whole time. No, I love love Christmas, it's a very jolly time, and my my children are in ecstasies of excitement. You can imagine the little ones waiting for Father Christmas to come and um, pointing, and you you always see a light in the sky, always. Even here, look, there's one there, that's (laughs) Father Christmas in his sleigh, and he's coming. Well, you haven't been very good, have you? Because you're a bit late with your shows, so you may not get anything, but if you'd been good, you might have got something. (laughs)
1: But do you, um, do you get into the Christmas spirit? Are you like f- chocolate advent calendar? Do you abide by the rules if you do or do you eat the, all the chocolate on the first day?
0: Well, I don't steal my children's chocolate advent <laughs> carrot. That would be a bit mean. Um, so the, the children have en- endless chocolate advent calendars, which they eat very carefully and one by one, and this is properly um, supervised by nanny to make sure they don't get ahead of themselves. And nanny's in the audience, so I've got to say the right thing today. Um, otherwise, there will be complaints. <laughs> this is
1: your nanny, Veronica, is here. A round of applause yeah. for Veronica. <clears throat> Who's here tonight. A real honour to have Veronica here. And we've spoken about uh, Veronica before, the last time I interviewed you. um, Veronica had uh, accompanied you when you stood uh, for election at a by-election in Scotland. Um, Which, you know, to a lot of people seems quite a a comedic image, Jacob Rees-Mogg and his nanny trying to get elected in Scotland, but...
0: Um, Well, the more helpers one had, the better. I didn't have an enormous amount of support in Scotland, it had to be said. (laughs) And I I, I needed some willing volunteers. (laughs) Or not say willing volunteers, as long as they were happy to deliver a few leaflets.
1: But I know, obviously, you have such a close bond uh, as people who have nannies have. You're effectively a member of the family. Very
0: much so, yeah. So I
1: think sometimes, I don't know whether it hurts you when people say things or they they sort of make it a class issue and, and they can be
0: quite mean. No, I I mean, I'm not bothered about this at all, uh, that if you're in politics, people sometimes can disagree with you. That seems to me to be part of the course.
1: But there's disagreement, isn't there? And then there's uh, uh, perhaps judgment about the way one might live on... I don't know why I'm
0: saying one. It's because you're here! (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) Excellent. I'm so pleased I'm such a good influence. Um, But it, it... No... I'm afraid we all do it, though, don't we? You watch the telly and you see somebody come on who says something that you disagree with, and you think, oh, how annoying. (laughs) And then you meet the person, you think, oh, she's really rather nice. (laughs) I mean, when I first got into the House of Commons, I kept on meeting all these people who I'd previously seen on telly as government ministers, socialist government ministers, (laughs) and had not thought very highly of And Then I met them and I thought, well, they're absolutely charming. (laughs) And and I just think this is human nature. And so I I think the um, intermediation of the media may sometimes create a false impression.
1: Yes. And do you feel... Do you ever notice, perhaps, in your presence that people do try and sound more formal or, or, or better educated? I mean, I did it then. I would never say one this or one that.
0: Well, I don't know, because I don't know how people are speaking when I'm not there, do I? Because I, I don't want sort to of go around eavesdropping just to find out how people... Ch-
1: <laughs> so, um, it's nice to see you sat up straight, by the way. That was. Uh, Thank you, I thought you'd
0: approve. <laughs> you didn't provide me with a bench, otherwise I'd have had somewhere to lounge. I liked the picture of you reclining. It was very traditional, but not everything that's traditional turns out to be right. <laughs> but some people
1: took real offence at it. They said, oh, this guy, you know, thinks he owns the
0: place... I mean, if I was sat on a big, long, green bench, I'm amazed more MPs don't recline. They always used to, and the television cameras discourage people from doing it for reasons I discovered after I had (coughs) lads. I mean, do you feel feel that you get an unfair treatment? No. uh, Politics isn't unfair or fair. It's as it is, and your political opponents are entitled to make whatever capital they can. And if you don't like it, then probably you shouldn't be in politics.
1: But that's—I mean—that—that that sounds great, but it must be hard. It's easier said than done. There must be times when perhaps you feel like you've had an unfair treatment either at the hands of a media or a political opponent.
0: Well one of the great joys um, is actually winding up one's opponent sometimes. So you ask about Christmas. I always tweet at midnight on Christmas something. About you know, today, a savior has been born for us, is Christ, the Lord. You know, this amazingly annoys the left. I get, I get the most furious response, and. I go to Midnight Mass and by the time I've left Midnight Mass, uh, a thousand or more people have got absolutely furious that I wish them Merry Christmas and I'm afraid I love this. I think it's the funniest thing that I can, I, I can annoy people so much by simply saying, and I'll do the same on, uh, uh, after the um, Easter Vigil, I'll say Christ is risen and again it'll annoy 1000s of who've left.
1: Hard-left hard people who say, no, Christ isn't risen. He was smeared by the mainstream media. Something like that, <laughs> yes.
0: Absolutely. Do you think Why are people, particularly at midnight mass, why are they staying up at midnight just to get very cross? Why don't they go to bed? <laughs> I mean, that's
1: really good life advice, actually, just in general, I think. Well, you just know, go to bed. Well, lie down, you see, and then you can have... <laughs> <laughs> we should say I offered you um, champagne this evening. I offered you um, Somerset cider, which I know you like. I even brought some baby sham. Um, But you're observing
0: Lent. I am, yes, so I'm not on the sauce at the moment, but Baby Shams, good Somerset drink, um, developed by the showerings of Shepton Mallet. I did not know it was... Yeah, yeah, Somerset drink, so um, drink cider and Baby Shams, support Somerset farmers. (laughs) (laughs) I heard you made your own cider. Mm. And what, is that for sale? Um, No, it's not for sale. Um, I can give it away, it's not so bad that I can't even give it away, (laughs) but I I will send you some. and I like it, I mean, it's, um, it's quite dry, uh, it's made with a random collection of apples, just the apples that we have, and um, it depends whether you like cider or not, but if you do, and you, I like, don't like that fizzy stuff, I'm not keen, if you want bubbles you want it in champagne or gin tonic quite honestly, um, <laughs> not in cider, so it's flat cider and um, you would be welcome to have some. I had some with your friend Nigel Farage actually, have you ever <laughs> had? <laughs> oh. I went. I went on his TV show. Have you had him on here? About eight years ago. Yes. Things were very different then. You should have him on again. (laughs) I'm not sure he'd want to come on again. Not wear a Christmas hat. He'd
1: have a whale of a time. I think he and I, perhaps, have since Brexit, things have changed a bit, haven't they, amongst people? You know, I think people perhaps are slightly more um, offended by Farage now than they were in
0: 2013. I don't know. I mean, I think he was very important for the Brexit debate. I don't think Brexit would have happened without Nigel Farage. Uh, so... Uh, I, yeah, think I think that's why a lot of people don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair enough. Yes, if, uh, people don't like Brexit, they may well hold him yes. responsible.
1: Yes. Um, so, just on the side, I don't want to lose some no, no. of the important stuff. Um, No, we mustn't. Did you just invent this recipe yourself? Is there a process that you just ad-libbed? No, no,
0: you just buy the equipment off the internet and you get it. And I got a great masher, um, which is fantastic, because the children love chucking the apples in. And then they come all mashed up, and then you put them in a thing and turn a wheel, and the juice comes out. And then you put it in a vat, um, and off it goes. And you get cider... Um, traditionally, I think you're meant to drink the cider on St. Swithin's Day, so you make it in October and then drink it in uh, from July of the following year. And
1: but have you tweaked the recipe? Were the first ones a bit harsh, or did you just nail it first time?
0: No, um, I have some help, so I leave that side with somebody who kindly helps me and um, does whatever he does that makes it drinkable. And I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that is. Though one year we put too much sugar in it; it wasn't so nice. I prefer the drier one. And does it have um, chunks in it? Do you, do you have no, 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 no. It all goes through a sieve. So no chunks. No, that would be horrid. No, the ch- chunks would rot. It would be disgusting. <laughs> no, that would be awful. That's basically ullage. <laughs> we don't want ullage in our cider. But I've, I've been to south-west England. Mm.
1: I've been to bars where the landlord has three teeth and he brews his own cider. And th- that stuff has lumps in it, and I loved it. So
0: I think it's... <laughs> I think, I, 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 I think it may have been had. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, once my sight returned, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a fantastic drink. Um, so you've, um, you're now Minister for Brexit Opportunities. We, we mentioned Brexit then. Um, have you found any opportunities from Brexit? <laughs>
0: um, enormous number of opportunities, yes. And, and would you mind sharing with us? Oh, yes, of course. It's the ability to govern ourselves. That's the greatest opportunity. So democracy it's quite a good one. We're not told what to do uh, by the European Union. Uh, but the um, vaccine scheme was a Brexit opportunity, that we got our vaccine faster than anybody else in Europe because we weren't in the European Medicines Agency. Uh-huh. And every country, every country within the European Union joined up to the European Union scheme, and it's extremely unlikely that we would have succeeded in remaining independent, and our independence allowed us to be faster. So that's a huge advantage uh, already. But then how does... In terms of your
1: brief, then, because that's the sort of thing that I... You know, the Prime Minister, maybe the Secretary of State for Health does. As Minister for Brexit Opportunities... Uh, do you just have to sort of keep tab on what these options are?
0: Or <laughs> so do you have to go out and kind of prospect for them? Yeah, it's an absolutely crucial point. Yeah. I have to persuade other ministers that the things I'm suggesting that are in their areas are things that they want to do. I, I can't operate without other ministers saying, yeah, absolutely, I'll go along with that. If they say no, they have authority in their areas. So you... But this is great, because it's <coughs> quite a quite creative role, then. Well, it's a role of looking at what the regulations are. We've got, I think, a list of 17, 1800 uh, EU regulations that have come through, that we've adopted in the last, um, how many years, since 1973. And you look through those and see which ones can you get rid of, what things can we do more freely. But one of the great things about Brexit is how we are able to retake a proper place on the world stage. If you think about what Boris Johnson has done, the leadership he has shown in relation to Russia and Ukraine, that would have been very difficult inside the EU because we would have been bound by the principle of so sincere cooperation. And that would have meant that we would not have been able to go so far ahead of the bloc. And Boris Johnson went way ahead of the block early on. We were by far and away the first people to send weapons to Ukraine, for example. And the rest of the West has followed what Boris Johnson has done, and I think the freedom we've had outside the EU has been crucially important in that.
1: I don't doubt that there are benefits to Brexit, there are things that we can do as a country that allow us to react quicker, but there are also problems with Brexit. I mean, should there be a Minister for Brexit problems so that then they can
0: <laughs> solve that bit? What, what, what are these problems? Um, <laughs> the, the, the queues at Dover? The, um, you may have missed... You may, well, somebody says the M20, they may not have noticed that p isn't operating at the moment. So we've got three of the 12 ships... I was at Dover last week. Three of the 12 ships that do the Dover Strait are not oper- operating. It is not a Brexit problem. It is that p decided to break the law in firing its staff and admitted that it broke the law, which seems quite extraordinary.
1: But there were... Uh, we had petrol shortages. We
0: couldn't get broccoli, for crying out loud. Um, you know, the, it does feel... The, pe- the petrol shortages, again, were nothing to do uh, with Brexit. That... that the the petrol shortages that there are in some uh, few petrol stations today are because of these lunatic people who go and glue themselves to pavements. Now, they may be lunatics because of Brexit. They may may have turned them so mad that that's why they glue themselves to the street. But it's not a direct cause of Brexit. It is a subsidiary uh, result of people turning out to be absolute nutters.
1: (laughs) But do you think... very different approaches to the language around mental health in this half, to the, to the <laughs> first
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> But do you think it has caused any problems at all? Do you, do you think, well, actually, you know, these were problems that were effectively were worth the, the grand prize, and we have to accept them?
0: And the, the Brexit has already worked for this country, has already given us freedom to determine our own future. We've already made choices that have succeeded. If you go back to the worries last year... Uh, about um, shortages, Uh, Grant Shapps reduced regulations on lorry drivers to ensure that more people could get licences, and he removed 30 to 35 controls, of which about half were ones we could not have removed had we been in the European Union. So the solutions to our problems come because of our freedom uh, to act on our own accord and not have a higher authority that tells us we can't.
1: And uh, Grant Shapps... uh, (laughs) Grant Shapps um, is currently pretty popular because he wants to, and I think this is one of the best policies in the history of government, wants to ban excessive announcements on trains. Yes. And I just think, you know, as as you know, I've never voted
0: Conservative before. Um, Before? That's very encouraging. Now, it's much better than last time. (laughs) Last time it was just you'd never voted Conservative. (laughs) So the next election I can mark you down as a C on our canvas cards. (laughs) But what does the C stand for? Conservative. (laughs) (laughs)
1: But that seems to me, that sort of thing, you know, I mean, I'm sure we could have done that as still a member state of the EU. We could have done, yes. Um, But but
0: actually, I think it is quite important that there are lots of little annoyances in life, like these announcements. Um, I was collecting a a son of mine from a school trip um, on Saturday evening, and I was standing at Heathrow, and they were saying don't let your children wander off on the baggage trolleys. And you think, what sort of stupid announcement is that? Why can't they just leave us in peace and let us just wait for our children to arrive rather than thinking we're going to put them on a baggage trolley? <laughs> what other things,
1: then? I mean, because I've thought about this quite a lot, actually. What other things would you... If, we, if there was going to be, like, a sort of one bill that banned excessive announcements on trains, that sort of thing, are there any other
0: annoyances about
1: life that you would...
0: make illegal? I I wouldn't make things illegal because I basically believe people should be free to get on with their own lives. Mm. Uh, But I think government shouldn't encourage annoyances to people.
1: What about people who get to the top of an escalator and just stop walking? (laughs) Well, I'm not sure that's wise. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, as a citizen, I think these people should face some sort of immediate justice.
0: Yeah, I thought I was meant to be the right wing one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but are there, I um, guess, uh, I mean, people who, um, people who play loud music on trains, that should be, they should face
0: something. What about people who play Christmas music uh, in April?
1: <laughs> well, I think if um, they um, um, are uh, doing that uh, at an explicitly advertised Christmas, Christmas event, where the public came, no, every ticket holder was told it was a Christmas event. I think that's fair. So enough. under
0: the Trades Description Act, you think you're doing the right thing. What, what about deflating poor Father Christmas?
1: <laughs> well, it, oh. was it was the noise that it would create on the podcast. It's
0: pretty sad, though, isn't it?
1: It is. I mean, um, Eric, you can take that away with you if you like. You can you're, that's you're, you're for next year, excellent. <laughs> so do you have, would you have decorations like that, or do you prefer some more traditional stuff?
0: I've got six children. We have whatever decorations they like, and that's just the sort of thing they would like. <laughs> You also ended up, I mean,
1: talking of sort of decorations and and, and things, you ended up flying, I guess it's not decoration, but it's a symbol, Um, I guess in homage to to Boris Johnson ending up on a zip wire with a Union Jack, two Union Jacks, I saw footage of you on a zip wire in Wales, um, the world's fastest zip wire, flying not just the Union Jack, but the the Welsh Dragon as well. And it's great footage,
0: but how on earth did that come about? Well, I was going... um to north wales on a um government visit and it was but the fastest way to get there and it was the <laughs> way to get there. and it's it's i it's the longest zip wire um and it was all with everything reopening and so on to encourage people to go to north wales and government ministers don't go to north wales perhaps as often as they should and i was offered the opportunity and i thought it'd be fun and it was it was excellent if any of you have the opportunity to go on the zip wire do it's it's all amazingly safe you don't need to worry you're strapped on and it's brilliant <laughs> And um, you zoom along with a fantastic view.
1: I mean, it looked like great fun. I mean, I, I just wondered if it was the first time you'd done something like that.
0: It's the First time I'd been on
1: Zipwire, yes. And have you ever been to like Go Ape or Laser Quest or anything like that? I've never even
0: heard of them, let <laughs> alone.
1: <laughs> well, I've never been to Go Ape, but I've always wanted to go. It, you kind of climb around in the trees, right? Like I, I think so people do it for team building. So do don't...
0: you pretend you're Tarzan? If I went, I think I would. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you do the Tarzan call? <laughs> God, I think you should. I think the audience will. Well, I've it. never tried it, but I guess I'd sort of go. Ah! ah, ah. very good. Now it's your turn. No, I can't <laughs> do it, unfortunately. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do, you, do you do any impressions of any of your colleagues or anyone? No, no, I'm no good at that. Because some people, I mean, people might just mimic each other behind each other's back, might they? Just uh, you never even go.
0: Oh, Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Was that an imitation of Boris Johnson?
1: I do mean, not at all. I can't. Oh, now that's here. much. <laughs> That's my, uh, That's very good. Yeah, well, thank you so much. the Honourable for. I uh, East nothing. You've
0: got you've the. You've got. You've got the eyes. <laughs> it's, it's the eyes. The eyes have it. <laughs> yeah.
1: no, I, yes. no, I. I knew. Come on. Come on. I knew. Jacob. I knew that you would. You. Uh, you bloody good minister. Uh, and uh, you. You listed the <laughs> fantastic. Oh, uh, uh, was it? <laughs> yes. Opportunities that we're getting from Brexit. Uh, does he ever? He talk like, is he like this in cabinet? He said, now, Jacob, please list the ones.
0: Is he like that? <laughs> it's not quite how cabinets normally run. <laughs>
1: Even with, because I would imagine with Boris Johnson, people would think that it actually, it it might, that it does have its, perhaps, moments of levity in a way that a Theresa May cabinet
0: wouldn't. Well, I was never in a Theresa May cabinet, for (laughs) obvious reasons. Um, uh, But the Prime Minister is always amusing, yes, but he chairs a meeting extremely well and effectively. Is that everyone's view around the table? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Of course it is. I, I mean, the prime minister is very professional, and you've seen this with how to go back to Ukraine, how he's handled Ukraine. The prime minister is a very effective uh, decision maker. Makes big decisions well. Has done extremely well in the important decisions he's made since becoming prime minister, um, and he handles cabinet effectively and serious-mindedly.
1: But they some, don't
0: know what party is. well, it's, oh, hold on. <laughs>
1: <coughs> Not everyone would necessarily
0: subscribe to that view, would they? They might say. <laughs> No. Well, well, of course of course, they wouldn't, because um, he is the leader of the Conservative Party and there will be socialists. Um, uh, uh, and the, the, the sort of Romaniacs who aren't, aren't enormously sympathetic to him. Um, but that's politics. That's what you would expect. But
1: David Davis called on him to resign. Is he a socialist or a Romaniac? Oh, I don't know. You'd better tell me. <laughs> but he's, I guess he has cultivated a particular image, hasn't he, Boris Johnson, that, that does contain levity, that... that uh, So Uh, you can't blame people for imagining he might be a bit more informal.
0: No, but just because people can be amusing doesn't mean that they can't also be serious, obviously.
1: Yes, but he gives the impression that he might
0: struggle. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, I think if you look at his record, he's a great ability to be serious when seriousness is required. I mean, the uh, the
1: video footage of him in Ukraine is is very impressive. Uh, And he looks like he's taking it very seriously. And I guess part of the reason why that's... So effective is, some people might think, we don't always see him like that. and
0: that's, that's absolutely true. But politics is very serious and tremendously important, but that doesn't mean one has to be pay-faced about it. And, and I think people ought to um, recognise that within politics there is a place for some humour as well as endless seriousness.
1: Yes. Um, I guess with him, people think that it might sometimes be inappropriate. I mean, if you take the party stuff, people think, well, this creates an impression that while the rest of us couldn't go to funerals and, and were restricting well, our and, lives... And, and, and he you, was tra-
0: and you getting talked getting about that in, the, the, in the, the previous session with Rosanna, and um, I think the conclusion to draw from that is, if this ever happens again, we have to be more humane in the restrictions that we have on people. Uh, we didn't know at the beginning how serious it was and what was going to happen. But I think not allowing people to say goodbye to relations, family and friends who are dying was too tough. And I don't think we should ever do that again. But also, if you've got a Prime Minister who has broken the law... well, we, th- This is a great leap in assumption. The Metropolitan Police haven't said that. Uh, the inquiry hasn't been completed... Um, So I I think to make these great jumps is a mistake but I also think you have to put in context with what is happening with Russia and Ukraine and that we have really serious things to deal with that are pressing and we have a leader who is capable of leading in that area and has led not only this country but the Western world in its response and that really is far more important than the precise definition I and mean, the angels on a pinhead of what happened in a garden a few weeks after the prime minister came out of hospital after he almost died. But you can see why people feel offended by what they've seen. Of course people feel offended by what they've seen. That, that's, that, that is um, entirely understandable because of how some people suffered during this, absolutely. But it's also because of his behavior during that period. I think you're going much too far from the evidence that we've actually got. No, we, 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 we know. That um, the, the, the party that took place on the eve of um, the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral, uh, we understand that fines have been issued for that. But the Prime Minister was not there.
1: But he was. Uh, I mean, I obviously don't want to sort of overly focus on party partygate, but it's a party. So I sort of now I've had a bit of baby sham. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is gassy stuff. Actually, I think you're right that bubbles don't belong in Periade.
0: Well, a, baby shams a sort of type of champagne, isn't it? Is it? Isn't it? <laughs> Just made. I don't think it's, don't think it's from the region. Isn't it a Isn't it a sort of Somerset champagne, really? <laughs> and if it's Somerset champagne, that means it's the best. And and we can now call it champagne because we've left the European Union. Well, we've signed <laughs> we, we, we've signed up to the geographic indicators, so we can't. But um, I what can, was the I, point
1: in leaving in the first place? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Now, you're a, you're a big fan of a quote, Jacob. You're you, you obviously um, a master of the House of Commons and its rules and its history. And you're well known for liking a, a sort of quote on occasion, historical quotes, um, as indeed all quotes are. Um, LAUGHTER I heard you have an Oxford book of quotations that you use. Is this um, true? And where,
0: why? <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely, I have. It sits on um, uh, my desk in my office, and I refer to it the whole time. It's amazing how often you can find a quote. Uh, that encapsulates the thought that you wish to express, and you can use it uh, in either a speech or uh, in an article. And I do a weekly quote for the Sunday Express, which they very flatteringly call Jacob's Weekly Wisdom. So if you subscribe to uh, the Sunday Express, you can get a weekly quote out of me. Um, But there's a great line from Churchill, to have a quote, which is that an uneducated man should read a dictionary of quotations. And it's fantastic, because if you have a dictionary of quotations by you, you can quote it, and people think you've read the whole thing, and you haven't, you've just picked up the quote, so it's very helpful. Oh, so it's a kind of like, it's a blagger's trick, really. It's a blagger's trick, that's <laughs> right, yes. Or magpie, perhaps. And
1: what, um, are there any favourite quotes that you've, you've found in that good
0: book? Oh, there are loads, absolutely loads, and none of them come to mind immediately, um, <laughs> as, is always, as, as is always the way. Um, but... Uh, um, well, what's the one about uh, Disraeli on Peel that um, uh, he, he found the Whigs bathing and stole their clothes? Um, Disraeli to Victoria, "We authors, ma'am," um, or, or when uh, he buys the Suez Canal, "You have it, madam." Uh, the Churchill quotes uh, endless. The um, uh, Russia is what is it? It's a riddle, enigma wrapped up in a mystery, or words to that effect. And then um, Canning, there's one from Canning that's not really relevant to anything, but I absolutely like, because he sent this quote in cipher from trade negotiations. And it goes as follows, in matters of commerce, the fault of the Dutch is offering too little and asking too much. The French are with equal advantage content. So we slap on Dutch bottoms, just 20%. And just the idea that your trade minister can suddenly think up a little rhyming quotation uh, that sums up the p- political and economic situation and send it home in cypher is, I think, very impressive. So I'm a rather a fan of Cannings. He probably got it from his Oxford Dictionary of rhyming <laughs> quotations.
1: It's just an endless... British history is just an endless... An endless feedback loop yes, of quote, yes. quote dictionaries. Um, but you also have, as well as this Oxford Dictionary of quotations,
0: your own style guide. Is that correct? It, it's sort of correct and sort of not correct. Um, that, that When I became leader of the House, um, they wanted to know if I had any particular things about how letters should be written and so on. And my parliamentary office had drawn up a list uh, of words and phrases that I didn't like being used and had it pinned up. I don't like the word ongoing. I don't like... Um, sort of ease. Yes. So it was a list of those sorts of words, and that got then um, leaked as a style guide. So style guides rather overegging the pudding, but I do have my um, particular likes and dislikes. Of and would overegging
1: the pudding count as a cliche that you'd want to ban?
0: No, overegging <laughs> the pudding is a cliche I
1: like. It's thoroughly <laughs> approved of. So what else is on there? Is it more sort of management speak, like um, uh, you know hard stop, or you know let's run this up the flagpole, that sort
0: of stuff? Yeah, that's ghastly. Um, <laughs> ghastly. You have to think, would, would any, does anybody know what you mean when you say, when you're talking about running up the flagpole, what do you mean? The Queen's just arrived, you're putting her royal standard up. I don't know. <laughs> so what other things are on there? What, what is on Jacob
1: Rees-Mogg's banned list?
0: Um, things that one says in speech but don't look good in text, so very. If you reread a letter, you're normally not... Um, very something you are just something and so the very can normally be deleted it's quite hard not to say that when you're speaking very hard very hard there you go (laughs) and I do it and I do it the whole time in speech but in letters you want to take the very out I dislike using investment when you mean government spending It tries to fool people into thinking that governments spend money well. It doesn't. It spends your money, and it's spent. It's gone. It's taxpayers' money. Investment is what people do expecting a financial return. It's different. (laughs) Do you think this government spends money well? (laughs) No government um, spends all money well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And... How closely... My job
0: with government efficiency is to try and make government spend it better. I wouldn't have a job if it spent all of it well. There'd be nothing for me to do. <laughs> How closely do you adhere to your own rules on language? Um, in um, written text, mm. quite strictly. In spoken word, um, more uh, flexibly. <laughs> but do you, do you worry... but I don't, I'm Ongoing, you would rarely hear me say. If ever, actually. But do you, do you worry
1: that you've set up a standard, basically, where you are now you have to adhere to a higher threshold, a higher quality of language than the rest of us. Not
0: not really. The whole purpose of the style guide, which you flatteringly called it, is that my letters to constituents should be clear and concise and should get to the point of what they're asking me. The other key thing letter to a constituent is it should answer the question the constituent has asked, rather than just writing something that is not particularly relevant to the point at hand. Uh, And it's easy to send out replies that tick the box but don't necessarily get to what your constituent is asking about. So that's the point of style guides is to be precise uh, and to answer the question you're being asked. And
1: When you look at some of your fellow ministers, do you think they would pass your test or fail it?
0: I'm sure they would all pass with flying colours, though they may have different taste in the words that they like to.: <laughs> <or dislike.
1: laughs> So when you look at um, ministers who get themselves in the spot of bother and they're, you know, they're struggling with an interview, um, does that frustrate you, or are you charitable to...?
0: No, I think they're but for the grace of God go I. How lucky they're doing the interview, not me, on a Sticky Wicket. <laughs> is Sticky Wicket part of the style guide, or is that OK? All cricketing references are encouraged. <laughs> what about football references? I don't know any. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I didn't want to go into extra time. Um, so. Oh, very good. I'm over the moon. That's a footballing reference, isn't it? That's, is it? Isn't it? Don't they people say they're over the moon the whole time about football? I think. I, I think, think they, they said about other stuff. I think they did. I think, I, I, I think it's. I think it's what football commentators always say. The same says over the moon. Yeah, but I've heard it elsewhere. But it's mainly football. I'm sure Maybe it's, it's mainly, mainly football. football. No, no one ever says it in cricket. They say it's a Brian Johnson champagne moment and things like that. So they don't say it over the moon. And have you never got into football? No, never. Um, a couple of my sons are very keen on football. And who do they support? Um, they well. Um, <laughs> That's a very good question. Uh, um, (laughs) One of them them got given by a friend of his uh, um, a a Liverpool shirt, which he wore, and he he is keen on Liverpool, and I made the mistake of putting a um, picture of this on Instagram, and the Liverpool Echo was absolutely furious that somebody like me... (laughs) So so that's why I say say it's a good question, because I don't want to cause more offence to the Liverpool Echo by saying who they support.
1: So what was what, their issue that you guys don't live in Liverpool? Or no, I think it, it
0: was more personal <laughs> than that. It was a bit unfair on Anselm. He's only nine, for heaven's sake. I don't think he's upset uh, the Liverpool Echo unduly.
1: And do you? Uh, so last summer, when England got to the final of the Euros, did you get swept up in that at all?
0: Uh, when England is in the final of something, um, I, I watch the final. But I, I'm not a football aficionado.
1: And when you look at like uh, figures like Gareth Southgate and Marcus Rashford, do you think they're positive role models for the country? Oh,
0: I mean, I, th- I think um, Mr Southgate's performance last summer was an absolute model to, to the nation at large. He was a brilliant, impressive figure. Dignified the whole way through. Have you met him? No. No, no, I haven't. And do you... Th- I mean, with stuff like that, I always wonder, has the Prime Minister... I'm sure the Prime Minister sent him a message. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would... But... One of the great things about our country is that the formal messages of congratulation don't come from a politician, they come from our sovereign. And I think that's better. I think that's one of the great things about a constitutional monarchy is that you don't have to get political about these things. There is a higher authority, there is a sovereign who can represent the whole country regardless of their politics.
1: And do you think uh, when that sovereign is a different person... uh, When Prince Charles takes over...
0: I think there's maybe treason. (laughs)
1: I'm not saying I'm going to do anything to affect it. I'm not no, no, plotting no, that, I, the, I,
0: the, is it the 1352 Treason Act? Uh, encompassing the death of the sovereign is treason. And so you... I, 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 I'd, I'd be careful if I were you in this discussion. Uh, does,
1: does my honourable and, and noble and learned friend uh, not agree with me that <laughs> the definition of encompassing is, is somewhat a moot point? No, I think
0: even this minor contemplation of it may be it put it at risk of uh, this terrible crime... Um, and I'm with um, uh, Zadok the Priest and Nathan the Prophet who anointed Solomon king, and all the people rejoiced and said, may the queen live forever. Actually, they said, may the king live forever, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Zadok the Priest is the Champions League title music. I don't is know. it really? Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. See, that might get you into football. It's, it, it's um, also been played at coronations since the reign of George II.
1: Yes, absolutely, who was a big fan of the Champions League. <laughs> was he? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise Association Football had been going that long. <laughs> Kind of rudimentary back then. I think that's when Forrest last won it. But, um, <laughs> but a, a, a hypothetical sovereign, then, not this one, a hypothetical popular sovereign has ruled for a long time and at some point will have to hand over one way or the other to um, perhaps a less popular uh, successor. Um, do you think the less popular successor, some people's view, would still command well, respect in that hypothetical why, why, why Britain. Why don't we
0: talk historically rather than hypothetically? Mm. Because we can talk about a much-loved sovereign who had been on the throne for over 60 years, who was adored by her people, who was seen as the mother of the nation and was succeeded by uh, a Prince of Wales um, who became Edward VII. And the country adored Edward VII. Uh, he was fun, he was different, It was change. He was extremely popular. Uh, and people hadn't thought he would be 20 years before he came to the throne. So um, the, the, the country historically has been very welcoming uh, to its new sovereign as, and has, um, I think, an inbuilt love for monarchy within it.
1: But do you not think that perhaps um, times have changed a little bit?
0: Well, since 1900. <laughs> You're so modern. <laughs> to 1901, in case anyone stantically <laughs> wishes. January 1901, when the Queen... Queen Victoria died, just in case anybody wanted to point out that i said 1900 and therefore didn't know the death of um, Queen Victoria. <laughs> so okay, people listen very carefully, you know, they'll write letters, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> they won't only complain about the noise from the thing.
1: <laughs> but obviously you, you have a, um, a love of history and a love of a particular way of being that um, perhaps not everyone does. You know, you're a very distinct person. Do you... Um, find people's interest in you and your style and your manner weird? Or do you, uh, do you get the fact that you feel perhaps a bit different, in a nice way, to the rest of us? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm afraid I'm going to phrase it entirely differently, because I find that everybody I meet is interesting for reasons that I don't necessarily expect until I've spoken to them. Uh, and that the, the, one of the great things of being a politician is that you have an excuse during elections out of elections, but particularly during elections, to go and knock on the doors with complete strangers and engage them in conversation. And this is the most fascinating thing to do, that you go door after door. No, fr- frankly, not everybody wants to speak to you. I do understand that. <laughs> there, 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 so, some doors get closed quite firmly. O- on the other hand, plenty of people do want to engage in conversation, and they're always interesting. And why are they interesting? Because they're different, because of what they think, what they care about, what they mind about, what issue it is at the front of their minds. And I think this is v- very a um, um, crucial part, actually, of, of humanity, that, that people are different and interesting. You may be saying I'm rather more peculiarly different than others, but that's a um, you know, matter of opinion. No, I meant it in a nice way. I think it's, it's, it's
1: nice when people are themselves and they feel comfortable enough to be themselves and to own... But you're yourself. Yes, I am, but I'm, I'm more of a sort of generic bloke than you are, aren't I? <laughs> no, you're not. Well, I'm le- I think I'm less distinct...
0: I think you're pretty distinct, and particularly look at your hat. I <laughs> the thing is, I get teased if I wear a top hat, whereas nobody seems to mind when you're sitting there wearing a Christmas hat. But do you, I, I guess what I mean is,
1: people are particularly curious about you and, and your personality and who you are in a way that perhaps, they don't perhaps have the same level of curiosity for other politicians.
0: I mean, I don't know. It's, it's very difficult to see oneself as others see one. It is a great gift, but I'm not sure I have that gift perfectly.
1: Yes, but... You, you, I guess <laughs> you must have some insight into um, the fact that uh, even your sort of vocabulary and style is um,
0: kind of unique,
1: really, even in, even in the rarefied world of Westminster.
0: I mean, is it? I mean, I suppose you, I. mean, I use all the same words as everybody else, just sometimes in a different order. I mean, uh,
1: More common, wise. <laughs> well, almost. It was almost. the Andre Previn line about the um, notes. Oh, the
0: notes. and Yes, that's quite right. I, yes, I, you see, everything's a quotation somewhere.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Um, um, someone will have said that before, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so just think about the current government, then. When you're on the doorstep and you're talking mm. to all these people, this amazing focus group that is the British public, what mm. are they saying to you at the moment about um,
0: some of your Cabinet colleagues? Well, the, the thing they're concerned about at the moment is the cost of living issue, completely. I mean, that, that is affecting everybody, and it is the first time we have seen an inflation problem in most people's lifetimes. And the difficulty for um, government, for any government, is that the answers to inflation are difficult ones. They are um, controlling public expenditure and raising interest rates. And those are economically tough things to do. Whereas the response to COVID was loose monetary and fiscal policy. So it was easing in all directions from the government. The answer to the 2008 financial crisis was monetary easing, their fiscal tightness, and the monetary easing helped everybody who had a mortgage, for instance. But the solutions now are difficult ones, and I think it's completely understandable that the cost of living issue is at the forefront of people's minds now.
1: But when you're on doors in North East Somerset, and people go, bloody hell, Jacob, what's going on with all these nom-doms or whatever it is. I, I can't get my head round it. I
0: can't. <laughs> no, I think you're very unfair on people of uh, North East Somerset who fully understand the intricacies of the tax <laughs> case. Um,
1: <laughs> and are they, are they sympathetic to um, other people who understand the intricacies of the tax system?
0: And, well, I got a quotation for you. I, thought, <laughs> I, I had a feeling you might come on to this. It's one of my favourite uh, quotations. Is it from the
1: Chief Executive of HMRC?
0: <laughs> it's actually... <laughs> It's actually from Lord Clyde from 1936 (laughs) and he said, and this is basically an important principle of taxation, no man in this country is under the smallest obligation, moral or other, so to arrange his legal relations to his business or to his property as to enable the inland revenue to put the largest possible shovel into his stores. The inland revenue is not slow, and quite rightly, to take every advantage which is open to it under the taxing statutes for the purpose of depleting the taxpayer's pocket. And the taxpayer is, in like manner, entitled to be astute to prevent, so far as he honestly can, the depletion of his means by the revenue. You have to remember the fundamental principle that it is your money to start with and the revenue is only entitled to take what by law it is allowed to do. If you think that law should be changed, you are entitled to campaign for it to be changed. But taxpayers can only be expected to obey the law. And if they do that, they have behaved properly.
1: But do you worry, perhaps, that a, an impression may form of a government when people say, oh, you know, party gate, and then... People might not know what a nom-dom is, they might not know the exact details, but they might go, actually, this feels like people who know how to play the system and, and move their money around, and I'm here with petrol going through the roof, bread and milk are more expensive. There feels like perhaps a disconnect between govern and govern. I, I, look,
0: I, I think the issue in relation to petrol and food prices increasing, is one of fundamental importance to how the government acts. What matters is can we get control of the cost of living crisis. And it is a serious problem and it needs and is getting serious solutions. So there has been £9 billion to try and help uh, with the fuel crisis. But the government is well aware that people are going to find it a stretch to heat their homes because the costs have gone up so much. Uh, The cost of basic foodstuffs have gone up as well. What is going on in Ukraine has reduced a significant (laughs) source of supply. The wheat price has gone shooting up. Um, So these are issues which the government has to tackle and will be tackled by a mix of monetary and fiscal policy options. The government will be judged on whether it gets these right. I think the other issues are ones that are the passing squalls and storms of politics.
1: And this passing storm, because, I mean, I lived through the Blair Brown era, as most of us did, and you were sort of briefing between camps and things like this.
0: What's the relationship between the Chancellor and the Prime Minister like at the moment? I mean, I think the relationship has always been an extremely good one. I have no evidence to the contrary. And does does, does,
1: Boris and Rishi talk to you about each other? Do they ever say... So if I say, oh God, I, I, look, I, I should have made you chancellor, Jacob. to I mean, you know, you, 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 you uh, know the, the Lord Clyde quote inside out. I, 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 <laughs> I, I quoted it to Rishi, his eyes glazed over, and he started talking about cars or something. Or has he ever promised you a bigger job? And he said, look, you stick with me, Jacob.
0: And I, I of course him. not. Things don't work like that. I'm very Well,
1: impressed. politics does, does it?
0: It doesn't, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> you know, that... that um, no, no, um, the... the, the um, um, <laughs> your imitations are very good. <laughs> <laughs> can you do Rishi as well? Because like, you could do the double act just by yourself. Jacob. And then I can go home quietly. <laughs> I said I would do
1: whatever it takes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you know, this is, this is absolutely fascinating. I know I'm not really here to quiz you, but I'm going to have a yes. go at it, because... What I'd never realised before is what is important about imitation isn't so much the voice as the facial movements. And when you you sort of make yourself look like the PM and look like Rishi and then suddenly one thinks you're sounding like... it's it's very clever.
1: No, I I think you're right.
0: Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That... that makes... That's excellent. No, one must always remember that. People are not some sort of disembodied voice. Uh, They are... uh,
0: They exist in the physical realm. Uh, (laughs) This this is going to confuse your listeners to the podcast (laughs) enormously.
1: I didn't actually realise I could impersonate you that well until that moment. Is that a form of flattery?
0: I take it as a great form of flattery.
1: (laughs) Thank God for that. (laughs) 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 So I was going to ask you... um, about, uh, what was it, there was, there was one more thing I needed to ask you about, and it's absolutely gone out of my mind, so I'm going to take some questions from the audience, and if I can answer one sentence questions, and one sentence answers, if that's alright, we've got time for just a couple, so indicate very clearly, and it's all been men so far, so it'd be good to have uh, an adult human female uh, to ask a question, yes the lady over there. Great. And why would it be hanging?
0: <laughs> uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't bring back hanging for the for the record. One defunct tradition. Well, if it weren't at risk of treason, I would bring back the coronation banquet, um, which they had until the reign of um, George the Fourth. And it was so expensive that they then banned it. It was in Westminster Hall. It was magnificent because the king's champion would come in on a horse and throw down the gauntlet. The hereditary king's champion, the uh, family is still still going there, is still an hereditary champion. Um, but it got completely out of hand. It was too big a party, and we haven't had one since 1820. So should we ever have another coronation, I think bring back the coronation banquet. That sounds great. You'll be first on the guest list, I expect. Yeah, I'll be. It won't be up to me, but you will be... <laughs> Well, you can imitate everybody. You could go as anybody you liked. You could turn up as the Earl Marshall. And who just... Uh, I can't imitate people.
1: <laughs>
0: it was worth the pun, wasn't it?
1: Um, yes, gentlemen, down the front.
0: Jacob, are you still friends with Mary Black from the SNP? And if you are, what do you talk about?
1: <laughs> are you still friends with Mary Black
0: from the SNP? And if so, what do you talk about? Um... Um, Because of COVID, we didn't see each other because Parliament wasn't sitting. But we are still friendly when we bump into each other. I I think extremely highly of her. I think she is a really remarkable politician, somebody to get into politics so young. And she's willing to take on her political opponents and does so uh, with great courtesy and effectiveness. She actually went to speak at my old school. She went to speak at Eton. And I was there a few weeks afterwards. They adored her. They thought she was absolutely magnificent because she answered all their questions. She was feisty and clear. And I just think she's a very impressive politician. So we bump into In the Corridors and have friendly words. Um, And I've answered without reaching for Gladstone's sentence. Do you know about Gladstone's sentence? Uh, (laughs) I looked this up. You always like quotations. I'll give you one final one. Um, Gladstone ended his budget in, whenever it was... with a 344, I think it was 1843, 344 word sentence. I've got it for you if you'd like. But it, that's right, the time. <laughs> so it's a bit risky saying to people, will they give a single sentence question and answer? Because you may have Gladstone in the audience. Well, indeed, and
1: particularly to politicians who are good at filibustering, it's, uh, it's an occupational. But I mean, this is the most thrilling part. Of it. I'll take one more question from the audience. They've both been over this side. Yes, right at the back over there. Uh, Should you not be trying to close loopholes instead? I was hoping for a sort of jaunty question, but that's fine. (laughs) Um,
0: um, Those loopholes have been very, very effectively closed. Having um, interest in the Cayman Islands does not avoid tax for a UK resident taxpayer. Um, I think this is having a pop at Somerset Capital Management, which um, I used to be involved with, but obviously not as a minister. Uh, Somerset Capital Management has a... Um, fund in the Cayman Islands for overseas investors, all its profits from the Cayman Islands are repatriated in the United Kingdom and taxes paid on it by the members of the Limited Liability Partnership. And Limited Liability Partnerships are not well understood because if you have a stake in a Limited Liability Partnership and it makes £100, even if the Limited Liability Partnership keeps that £100 in its bank account... You, as an individual partner, are taxed at your highest marginal rate, even if the money isn't paid out to you. Because the tax of LLPs falls on the members, whether or not the money is paid out. It's not like a corporation, where the corporation pays tax, and you only pay a dividend tax if it's paid out to you. So on the £100, if you're a high-rate taxpayer at 45%, you would pay £45 on the £100, even if the money stayed in the accounts of the company. Why are you only investing £100? Um, It simply makes the maths easier. (laughs) Just remember what I was going to
1: ask. That great video of you emerged, and it was on the Times website of you as a 12-year-old boy... I've got to go to Somerset. (laughs) (laughs) There was a very charming video of you interviewed as, as a young boy, and you say you'd like to be Prime Minister by the time you're 70. Now you're 52, so at what point in the next 18 years... Should we expect a leadership?
0: No, no. I'm I'm looking forward to supporting Boris Johnson going on beyond the length of time served by Walpole. (laughs) Walpole clocked up 21 years, um, and I I think once the PM's done 21 years, I will be too old.
1: But let's say the PM graciously, humbly decides to step aside, (laughs) to selflessly allow another colleague to step up and serve. I would be
0: encouraging him to continue.
1: But if he says, look, Jacob, I, I just can't. I, look, I've, I've done 20 years, and I can't do a single day more, and I, I've got 100 quid in a bloody investment thing, and I 45 quid every bloody year, I barely even lift. If, oh, let's say he died, then. No choice in the matter.
0: I was well, he's killing off everyone tonight. <laughs> there won't be anybody left. Don't you have a pop at the Queen now, Boris Johnson? Who's his... Tell me, you are a a bit of a French revolutionary, I think. (laughs) You bring out the guillotine. But
1: if the circumstances arose where there was no choice, do you still have the ambition that you had when you were 12? No, no, my ambition
0: is to support Boris Johnson in leading a very successful government. That is exactly what I want to do, and I have great confidence in him to do that. Um, I'm a very firm supporter of his, as you may have noticed. Oh, yes,
1: absolutely, but Prime Ministers come and go.
0: Some do very long stints, as I said, Um, Walpole 21 years, Um, Pitt the Younger did 18 years. But Walpole,
1: I mean, that was back in the day when the Prime Minister was appointed by the monarch. This was pre-elections.
0: Well, there were elections, but there was a certain amount of government influence in the elections. (laughs) 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 And would you like to bring back those days? (laughs) No, no, I'm quite happy with the reform bills. I think they were broadly beneficial.
1: Yeah, I mean, the 1832 reform 1832
0: Act. and 1867. Disraeli's great reform of
1: 1867.
0: That's right. I mean, I i
1: you. I bought Disraeli's autograph
0: and... Did you? Walpole's. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to get the autograph of every prime minister. OK. What a fantastic
0: um, thing to do. Yeah, I think it's cool. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I bought them off eBay, so I'm guessing they're legit. <laughs> uh, um,
0: how would I know?
1: I mean, LAUGHTER well, the, it was postmarked North East Somerset,
0: actually, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the letter was so brilliantly written that I got. Um, but yes, I'm trying to collect autographs of every prime minister, and really? I've got
0: Walpole's. Oh, fantastic! Or I think I've got. You well, I'm sure you have? I'm sure. It, About 150 quid. I have no idea how much an autograph of Walpole would be worth. I think I've got Gladstones and Disraelis for a similar. I mean, it feels. The problem is, I feel like they should be more expensive, but maybe it's just people like. But well, Gladstone and Disraeli signed an awful lot of things, so there should be, those shouldn't be enormously expensive. I, and and the, there'll be some obscure 18th century ones in Wilmington and people like that. Yes. Um, who I imagine aren't very expensive, but there possibly aren't very many of their signatures because people wouldn't have kept them. Walpole pre- probably kept his signature. I, ha- I mean, I don't have the current incumbent. I don't know if there's anything you could do you to You could probably forge it. You can imitate him well enough. <laughs>
1: I should start forging autographs and selling them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're giving me a
0: great, good business. I was going to ask you for an investment tip and you basically well, gave me
1: Well, there you one. go. So that's fantastic. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a very special evening indeed. Please give it up for the one and only Jacob Rees-Mogg! Well, there you go, Jacob Rees-Mogg. It was worth waiting for. Uh, that really was a Christmas special, even if I was the only one drinking baby sham. Um, but one of those interviews where... There was enough serious stuff in there and enough sort of slightly off-the-wall silliness as well. Um, And thank you to everyone who came. Um, it was uh, it was a fantastic uh, evening. So the second of these Christmas specials will be out soon uh, with the brilliant Rosenna Alan Khan. So that'll be out in a few days. And you can get tickets to all future shows at the Duchess Theatre at mattford.com. And of course, you can come and see me live with my tour Clowns to the Left and Me Jokes to the Right, which does include impersonations of Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak and Jacob Rees-Mogg. I mean... There was a bit, obviously, so much of it is visual, but there was a moment, you might have been able to hear it, where I slightly mimicked his body language as well. And (laughs) that was a very special moment. Um, So uh, he was a fantastic guest. I can't thank him enough for coming on. Thank you to everyone who came. Thank you for downloading this. And uh, please do share it, subscribe, leave a review, and just tell everyone. And I'll see you soon. Cheers. ta (laughs)